we made every single mistake you could possibly make. Um, and I think as part of that, I mean, as part of that, you also learn that there's very few fatal mistakes, um, that it's more about just how quickly you evolve and how quickly you adapt. And so, um, I mean, there are very, very few things that we did right in the early days of Teleson, but we didn't do the same mistakes twice. And we also learned that in those moments where you feel like the company's about to go out of business or you feel like you're in a major crisis that you can't recover from, uh, in 100% of those times, a year later, we, we uncover that it caused a positive transformation, that it caused us to go do something differently, it caused us to go launch a new product, caused us to go think about um, a problem in a completely new way. And so I think probably probably the biggest lesson if I look back at like the early days was just to try not to let that emotional roller coaster impact me as much. Welcome, this is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 Under 30 Entrepreneur and Performance Coach. Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week we bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today we have a very special guest. He made the Forbes USA list in 2017 for the enterprise tech category. He was born in San Diego and co-founded online security company Telesign in 2005 as a sophomore at the University of Southern California, USC. Telesign pioneered mobile phone-based two-factor authentication, a security service protecting billions of online accounts globally. The company has raised 78 million in funding and its platform has billions of users in more than 200 countries in 87 languages. Telesign has over 300 employees with annual revenues of more than 100 million. He currently oversees strategic operations and is a frequent speaker in the area of online fraud and authentication. In 2018, he was named USC's Alumni Entrepreneur of the Year. Please welcome my very special guest, Ryan Disraeli. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm guessing you, you call everyone a special guest, but I definitely feel <laughs> so special to be here and uh, happy to chat with you for a bit. You're extra special, and I'm very excited to have you here. It's always a pleasure when we get to reconnect, and I'm honored. So welcome to the show. Uh, Ryan and I were lucky enough to meet at a Forbes event in Israel, and uh, we've since been friends. He's even hosted me in California, so he's been very generous and uh, just a great friend ever since. And I've even gotten to see the Telesign corporate office, which is amazing in California. Um, so maybe uh, Ryan will be nice enough to let you visit one day if you're listening and are in the area. Um, before we dive into things, because I know the listeners are definitely going to benefit from hearing your story and also what your company offers, but where were you when you found out you first made the Forbes list? I am trying to, uh, I remember vaguely that uh, it was the year, so I went to USC, which is a big football, a football program, and the football team was horrible. I mean, since I went to school, when I was in school, they were really good. And a few years ago, the team made the Rose Bowl and had a dramatic comeback and won against Penn State. And I remember being out and like partying and celebrating that win. And then I think it was the next morning because I woke up and wasn't feeling that great. I was a little bit groggy from the night before. 
And I just kept getting like random texts from people like saying congrats and I had no idea what they were referring to. Um, so, and then eventually someone sent me a screenshot. I'm like, oh shit. So um, I, I, then I think I went back to sleep since I was not feeling the best from, uh, from the USC win. But uh, that was- Perfect timing. You got like double the amount of celebration. What a great way to find out. And it's, I'm noticing after doing these interviews, it's such a common a theme and, and thread amongst all of us that we didn't even realize that we we made the list. It was from other people that were telling us like congratulations that we had made it. Uh, who was the first person you shared it with? Uh, I probably my parents, but I, I honestly don't remember. I I genuinely went back to sleep. I remember that, and then waking up and like reprocessing it. But uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely very humbling. A lot of really impressive people on the list, and. Uh, in, and through it, I think more importantly, just the opportunity to meet meet amazing people like like you. Um, so I think that's been the be- the best benefit from being being a part of it is the community itself. Absolutely, it was surrounded by high achievers and and people that are changing the world. It's you have friends in every continent now that are also doing amazing work. Um, before we dive into your work specifically, take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now ultimately making the Forbes list. Yeah. So so I grew up, as you said, in San Diego, Um, one of three brothers, which I think is important in my story since we're all very close in age, which means that we're very competitive with each other, Um, always want to one up each other. And I think that same competitive drive like still continues to push me then. It's probably a combination of my greatest strength, but also many of my weaknesses are due to that competitive drive. Um, my dad was a dentist. His dad was a dentist. His dad was a dentist. And let's just, let's just pretend that his dad was a dentist. I'm not sure, but it probably is the case. Um, so I grew up in a dynasty of dentists, which is only relevant to my story because one, I knew right away I didn't want to be a dentist. And we actually, uh, between my brothers and I, completely killed off the dentistry, uh, dentistry dynasty. That's a fun, uh, fun one to say. There and, you go. Uh, but the part that I was interested in was the business part. And, and I would always ask my dad questions about, about his business. And um, most dentists are, are, they're almost mini entrepreneurs. They, they have their own business, their own practice. And um, a lot of being a good dentist is actually the business aspect of it. And I mean, I'd ask you, like, how do you know that you have a good dentist? Like, like, like you really don't know, like, unless you have someone else look at your teeth, that's a dentist and verify that you have a good dentist. You really don't know. Um, what you do know is, is like how you felt when you went to the office, um, and kind of all the other aspects of your dentist, like just whether you like them as a human being. Um, but you really don't know if they're a good dentist or not. Yeah. How likable are they are, you know, do you have some sort of energy or chemistry that you resonate with them? Do they seem friendly? But you're, it's not like you're going out to Chipotle and shopping around at different prices versus Moe's burritos and versus Chipotle, you know, usually you pick a dentist and you're pretty much stuck with them. And as long as you like them, you keep, you stay with them. Yeah, exactly. I think I had the same dentist I had since I was in pediatric, uh, <laughs> you know, age. And so, yeah, Dr. Applebaum, he just took care of me the rest of my life. <laughs> you have good teeth. So Dr. Applebaum must be good. But I think for uh, for most people, they really just don't know. And, and that part always fascinated me just with the business aspect of it. And um, and so I'd always start like small companies and and, and try to sell things. But um, I didn't really think being an entrepreneur could actually be a career and starting something could be a career. And like it just wasn't it wasn't really a thing. 
Um, so I remember when I applied to college, um, and I ended up going to, to USC, which was the perfect distance from San Diego, like a couple hours away. So far enough, but not, not too far away. Um, I remember when I initially applied, I actually applied pre-law since I, I figured that being a lawyer was a real career, whereas like starting a company wasn't. Um, but while I was in school, I got introduced into an incubator where uh, I made a few friends and, and uh, Darren Berkowitz and Stacey Stubblefield. And we started working on a few projects and, and companies and, and Telesign was one of the, it was really a project that we were working on, um, designing a solution for one very specific customer um, that had a pain point. And uh, we recognized that, hey, this could probably be a, a company, like a little lifestyle company. Um, but I think we were all more interested in some of the other companies and concepts we were working on. And so I, I remember from a very, very early time, you know, Darren and I in, a, in an office that maybe like you know 150 square feet total for for the you know a couple of us um spitballing back and forth and saying that hey like you know telesend really makes it like we may need you know seven or eight employees total um to run the entire company while we work on some of our other projects and um stacy to her credit thought we were crazy so i, I give her more more credit now and, and she was right um but uh but i mean we really didn't expect telesend to be this massive thing and uh, you know, sure enough, over a couple of years, acquired some customers, just kept kept really, you know, hunting and trying to find enterprise customers. And uh, we were able to, to scale the business to um, to ultimately actually being acquired a couple of years ago. Um, I'm skipping over tons of details and happy to dive in, but most of them boring, some of them interesting. Um, but I actually left the company after we were acquired. Um, my personal goal was to take six months off, enjoy life. Um, during that time, I discovered that for me, work-life balance is working really hard and then you know, enjoying life really hard. Um, I still, to this day, struggle putting the two together. But uh, after four months of, of enjoying life, not six, I, I got a call from the CEO of the company that bought Telesign and um, he asked if I would come back um, and help out for a little bit. Um, I agreed to do that and it's been almost two years now that I've, I've been the CEO of the company. Um, we've uh, doubled revenue, more than doubled revenue in that time. Um, continue growing. We're, we're pushing close to 400 employees. We'll cross 400 probably in the next couple of months. And uh, honestly, having a ton of fun, never expected to be back. But um, I think every part of my journey is, has been, I've had a plan and I've, I've somewhat scrapped it uh, opportunistically as, as things have come up and, and I've enjoyed doing that. So what a rewarding compliment though. It's like you leave the company they're like, no, 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 we need him back. Let's get him back in here to run things and you not only came in to, to run it, but also doubled the revenue. That's very impressive. I mean, what a compliment. Yeah, I'm sure they would have been fine with that without me, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I know, I mean, it's, uh, as I mean, I'm having as much fun as well. So, I mean, it's, to, to yeah, me, I, mean, I feel like I have unfinished business so we can do a lot more. And, and uh, as long as I'm having fun doing that, I'll, I'll stick around and continue doing that. Um, what did you do when you took those four months off that you had planned for six? What did you end up doing? Yeah. So I learned a lot about myself because one, I thought that my personality, I'd be super bored after a couple of weeks and ready to work again. And in all honesty, I was never bored. Like, so for the, those four months, I never got to that point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to, to really dig in and start working again. I, I really... I think needed that time. I'd been working full time since while in college when we started Telesign. Um, I remember graduating on a Friday and going to a conference on that Saturday and, and trying to just sell the product. 
And so I really needed that time and I, I did a few things. So one, you know, I definitely traveled a bit. Um, I met you in Israel. I think that was like my third week off, uh, which was a, which was an awesome experience. Um, I went to Africa, went on a safari, um, did a few other, you know, traveling, also just visiting family and friends, even in the U S that I hadn't, I hadn't seen, you know, how you have those lists of friends that you're like, Oh yeah, I'll definitely visit you. And then you never actually make the time. Um, I started making the time for that. Uh, and I don't know, I just, I stayed busy. I mean, I, I was still kind of passively advising the company and, and involved in a few different things, but, um, I was amazed how busy you can stay even when not, not working full time. It was pretty interesting to learn about. I remember stuff. you were telling me how you wanted to go on a safari and a lion almost attacked you, right? Yes. Uh, I learned for anyone that's listening, if you don't take anything away from this podcast, just learn that if you see a lion and you're on foot, like you're supposed to look big and walk backwards slowly, not do what I did, which was run as fast as you possibly can away from the line. So, um, what you, happened? I, I, I hope I saved a life right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was my last day of a safari. And for those of you that have been on a safari, you know, you don't actually get out of the car. Um, but the last day we were, we came across this one spot and my, my guide was, was telling me that, Oh, this is the one spot you're allowed to get out. Like you can actually like climb this rock and, and get up there. It's safe. Don't worry. Like we take people up here all the time. And I, I even remember asking, I was like, there's no lines. He's like, no, like no, no problem. Um, so we get up there and uh, I climb. I was like, oh, this would be like a cool picture. Like I don't have a picture of this safari with me in it. It's just me taking pictures from inside the car of animals. And so I, I asked the guy to take a picture of me standing up on top of this rock. And uh, I hear him go, lion. And uh I thought he said Ryan. So like, he had an accent and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, I was like, it's a bit odd. He's telling my name. And then I see a, a female lion kind of pacing right, right at us. Um, obviously really upset. And, and I learned in that moment that my, my fight or flight is definitely flight. And uh, I jumped off this rock, <laughs> which wasn't actually that like, my foot was in pain for about a week after jumping off of it. And just started sprinting to the car, which is, like I said, what you're not supposed to do. Um, but luckily, my guide knew what to do. And he picked up a branch and, and acted big and, and bought a little bit of time. And, and you um, survived. To meanwhile, make I, was in, I, was in the, I was in the car, like, the, you know, the door shut. And like, <laughs> there was no, no fear in that moment. But, you know, uh, I always joke about this because when I lived in Boston, as you know, I lived in, in Boston yeah. in the past three and a half years or so. And friends would always ask, Hey, you want to go hiking, hiking or, uh, you know, this weekend. Yeah. And there's two different types of people that ask you. There's the people that say, when they say, Oh, do you want to go hiking? It means you're going to put on some sneakers and gym shorts and you're going to go in the woods for like a walk for an hour or two. And yeah. then I have other friends when they ask, do you want to go hiking? You better be prepared for a three day trip. You need all the equipment. I mean, you're sleeping overnight in the woods and you never know what type of hiking they're talking about. So it's always fun to distinguish because for me, if you ask me to go hiking, you better know what the hell you're doing in the woods. And if an animal approaches us, I want to know what is the go to, you know, I grew up in the city, so I don't have that background of, you know, what to do properly to survive if a certain animal comes toward you or grizzly bear versus black bear versus brown bear there's different techniques and strategies you're supposed to use for different animals and it's funny people would just invite me and they had no clue either (laughs) 
how so do you how do you find out if, how do you find out if they're the the walking type or the multi-day trek type you what have to be just questions? you just blatantly ask them and say listen you got to call them out on it because if not you're just going to assume that they know what they're doing and a lot of the times they didn't they knew yeah. as little as i did in la when you're asked to go on a hike it's almost entirely the the put on sneakers and go for a walk that you may like it may be on dirt it may not be um, but a hike here is very and you have fun. mountain lions there too because i mean joe rogan he was talking about this on his podcast yeah. he goes for a run almost every day and he brings a knife with him just in case and because he he says he comes across them a lot really i i knew they exist here i've seen some pretty iconic pictures of mountain lions in front of the hollywood side and um some on the mountains but I, i've never never run into one just just a, a ride in africa so well that's an awesome trip you're back with the company and how do you explain in layman's terms to those listening what the company actually does? Cause you pioneered two factor authentication, which for those that don't know what that is, it's, it's the, basically the process and, and Ryan can explain this much more eloquently than I can. But when you, let's say are logging into a platform and you get a text message of the a code that you need to log in, in addition to typing in your password and you guys pioneered some of that early technology, right? Yeah, I mean, you explained it quite well. So uh, that's exactly what we what we do. And, and really for the largest websites in the world, so I think nine of the top 10 largest websites in the US, um, 21 of the top 25 globally, um, and exactly that, anytime you receive a text message or a call with a code to verify your identity, um, thank you, you're probably making, making TeleSign a fraction of a penny and, and we appreciate it. Um, and then behind the scenes, we do a lot more. That's what the consumer sees, but we do a lot more around the identity of that phone number and the identity of that customer um, to help ensure that as these web properties onboard new users, they know that it's a real person. And then as you're logging in, that you're still that same individual. So there's a lot that also happens behind the scenes, but um, where you really interact with Telesign is, is the engine that's um, delivering the text message or the call with the code that you're using to, to validate your, your identity. Um, and how did you even think of that while you're in school? I mean, you called it a project because you didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. And then yeah. I mean, how are you even thinking about that while you're in school? I, I can't take credit for the idea. Um, the, the owner of the incubator had a nephew in Israel that owned an online backgammon website that was seeing a ton of fraud. And this was really mainly credit card fraud. So people using stolen credit cards. And what they started to do to fight the fraud is they hired a team of people to make a call after every order. So they would call a user and say, hey, just wanted to make sure you place the order. Um, the user would say, yes, they would hang up, call the next person. And when we, when we heard that, we're like, okay, we, can, you know, we had some experience with telephony um, and we, did, we decided to build an automated IVR. So just an automated voice call where um, we would deliver a pin code over the phone, the user would type it in and, and that was really the project and, and the use case was really mainly mainly e-commerce and mainly verifying high risk orders. And so that was that was the initial uh, V1 of the product before really text messaging took off. And uh, once we had that launched and started acquiring some customers, we recognized really new markets and other use cases, including using it for, you know, registration to verify it's a real person and using it for two-factor authentication where before using SMS and voice, um, people used to carry around these, these tokens. I don't know if you're familiar with them, like RSA tokens. And, um, yeah, I had them in Nigeria actually to get into your bank account. You still use these tokens and you would put it on your keychain, exactly. and it would send you the, the token code. 
They, yeah. they didn't become as, as prevalent in the US, I don't think. We, I think we leapfrogged the generation, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, you'll still see them in some like corporate banking, like banking moves very slowly. But um, of course, like when you're talking about a Google or a Facebook, I mean, they have users, hundreds of millions of users on every every country on the planet. Like they can never ship out a device to everyone for their identity. So they just need something that's really, really simple to use and, and secure. And, and, and uh, we were fortunate that we were able to be really fast in the market and go. Yeah, I mean, back in... To, to those listening, it's like, oh, of course, no brainer. But in 2005, I mean, you guys were pioneering a whole new frontier. I mean, this was not a common theme. Yeah, no, I mean, in 2005, Facebook was the Facebook and the number one Apple product wasn't the iPhone, it was the iPod Nano. And so that gives you a little bit of context. So, I mean, 2005 and when we started, and that's why it was very much just a voice telephony solution then um, and really evolved over time with. Uh, you know, SMS and adding in much more identity layers behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and more security measures and being able to prove that this phone number is an actual human, not a robot, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very, you're in a very unique position because most people, especially in Cali, hop around from one company to the next. They're trying to, you know, increase their, their career stature and prestige. And they're moving on from one company to the next every 18 months or two years. But you, you went right from college project to what you've been doing for years now in, in one company. I mean, that, that's pretty rare. What would you say is the single most important attribute that got you to where you are today, making it to as successful as it is now? Yeah, I don't know if that's a compliment or, or a bad thing to be the same company. But for me, I mean, if you told me back then that I'd still be doing this, I would have thought you're crazy. But to me, like I continue to find just new growth opportunities for me personally and for the business. And um, I also feel like, I think I mentioned before that I just have unfinished business and, and want to continue to, to grow and, and very much belief in the growth. Um, so one, like, I don't think I'd still be doing it if I hadn't left. I, I really needed that break. And so without doing that and coming back, I'm going to for sure be on to the next thing. Um, but, but two, I think it's, it's, finding new ways to grow both personally and, and for the business have been what's kept me there for, for so long. Um, but I, I'd imagine when you talk to, to founders that have been at a company for, you know, similar periods of time, they probably would say the same thing that they never expected to, to be there for so long and always expected to be onto the next thing, but uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And that break was probably helpful too, because you're like, okay, I get to stop, pause, reflect, see how I envision the future and, prevent burnout from happening. And then it's like an unexpected surprise that makes it even more worth, um, you know, the, the positivity and energy that you get from it. And I mean, that must be re reinvigorating for you, but you do that often, right? Like you stop, take a break. I know you love to travel. That's where you and I connect on a, on a lot of areas outside of business. I mean, how are you maintaining that healthy mental health physical health to ensure you don't burn out now yeah i do love to travel and i'm very fortunate um we're recording this in in covid times so i don't know when you're, you're gonna air this but um this is the longest i've ever been in one place at one time and so i'm getting a bit a bit sir crazy right now but um i'm fortunate that more than half of the telesign team is, is international and mainly in europe and so I travel quite a bit for work, but what's nice in, in that role is that I'm able to attach a weekend and 
go explore a new city and explore a culture and um, do things that are crazy. Like, I mean, in, in uh, like right in uh, February or March, I, ironically, it was in Italy, I think, right when COVID <laughs> was there too. Um, but I mean, I was, it was just, Ryan. Ryan caused yeah. all this. <laughs> okay. uh, but I mean, like, I literally went to Italy for 24 hours just to eat pasta, like, which sounds ridiculous. But when you're attaching it to a weekend, um, it's like something that's totally doable. And I mean, I just changed my flights. So I had to fly through through Italy and, and went there and went to my favorite pasta place and just walked around. And um, so doing things like that, which sound sound pretty crazy, like you never fly from L.A. to, to Italy and just go have cacio e pepe. But um, yeah, follow, ladies and gentlemen, follow Ryan's path. And one day you'll be able to have dinner wherever you want, including Italy <laughs> for the night and just fly back. Yeah, but I mean, I, I try to do, I try to just add on weekends uh, for sure, and then um, here it, it's really I think staying focusing a lot on like fitness and nutrition has helped help like create a lot of energy. Um, I also drink a ton of water. You might be seeing me like sip sip out of a giant cup of water, um, but uh, those types of things. I, I also meditate every day about ten minutes. Um, I don't. I think most people that meditate have a specific time. I'm actually the weird type that I just it's actually kind of just throughout the day, whenever I can find the time I, I do it. Um, but I currently have a, a 90 day streak on headspace, which is uh, about 86 days longer than any previous streak I've had. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty proud about that. But, uh, but I'm also always looking for new ways to balance and new ways to, to you know, strike that right balance and, and continue having the right energy to, to move on. And for me, I'm a fine mental health. What's better than that. And uh, congratulations on the streak. Headspace is a great meditation app. Uh, especially for those that haven't meditated before and are just getting into it. Yeah. Um, we talked about your success, but now thinking about some of the lessons you've learned and thinking about your journey, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned that maybe you wish you would have learned sooner? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we made, we made every single mistake you could possibly make. Um, and I think as part of that, I mean, as part of that, you also learn that there's very few fatal mistakes um that it's more about just how quickly you evolve and how quickly you adapt and so um i mean there are very very few things that we did right in the early days of teleson but we didn't do the same mistakes twice and we also learned that in those moments where you feel like the company's about to go out of business or you feel like you're in a major crisis that you can't recover from in a hundred percent of those times a year later we we uncover that it cause a positive transformation that it causes us to go do something differently. It causes us to go launch a new product, causes us to go think about um, a problem in a completely new way. And so I, I think probably probably the biggest lesson, if I look back at like the early days was just to try not to let that emotional roller coaster impact me as much. And in those moments of crisis, just recognize that it's going to cause, you know, a year from now, it's not going to matter. We're not going to go out of business and to, um, that it's it's going to cause something really positive for a change. So to me, a lot of it's more on the mental side um, than any like specific uh, anything else. Uh, we I mean we made every single possible mistake. I mean just a, just as an example, when a big customer would send us a contract, we would just sign it. Like we didn't have like a lawyer review it. Um, and so like literally every single mistake that you can make in an early part of a business, we we made and paid the price for. Luckily, we're a bit smarter than that now. But uh, 
Um, so it was more, it was more of the intangibles of making sure that you're holding your composure, making sure that you're not, you're being the calm amongst the storm and not wavering with every you know, fluctuation of the weather. That's example. great. And that, I mean, I think that's, that's the really fun part when you're in a startup environment is that the highs feel like, like the greatest thing in the world. Um, but the lows are really shitty and you really struggle with those moments. And so I think it's, it's trying to figure out how you strike the balance where you don't, you don't temper the enthusiasm in those high moments. You still get to really enjoy them and celebrate them and you should, but in those low moments, recognizing that they're going to lead to something really positive and not to focus so much on, on the short term that almost anything you do and any mistake you make is recoverable. If you, if you evolve quickly and, and, uh, and if you hold your composure and just, uh, there's a lot of volatility. It's like a roller coaster. And if you can just lower the upper control limits and lower control limits to make sure the volatility isn't as extreme or polarizing or hyperbolic, then you're going to create a, a more um, stable environment for yourself mentally, but also for your team and for your business. And it's kind of like you just, like the old cliche saying, just enjoy the ride. You have to find the fun in those moments of ups and downs and if you don't and you you let yourself succumb to the emotional intensity of each up and down you're going to burn out yep. and you, I, you might end up making the wrong decision now because you didn't hold your composure it's like you'll get over the mistake the tangible stuff you can learn from you can grow you can get advice you can hire coaches but if you can't control your mental health or your you know your stability then that's where you you're able to make mis bigger mistakes that might be more permanent and yep. even affecting relationships. And that goes to your co-founders. Like how have you guys been able to stay together for so long? And can you tell us a little bit about that and how you maintain some of that health between the relationships of a company, especially with a school startup that has transcended all these different changes and transformations? I mean, one, I think I got really, really lucky with my co-founders. I wish that I wish that there was some sort of like dramatic meeting where we got in a room and like all of us realized like realized we had complementary skills and like planned this out. Um, but we really didn't happen. It was more accidental. Um, but I got so lucky to work with like two people that um, I really connected with and to this day are really, really close friends and and uh, you know I have this extreme amount of trust with. And I, I think part of that I mean, part of that was our personalities meshed well together, but a big piece of it was we just went through so many tough moments and times together. And, and when you, when you do that, uh, like you, you, I think it's very natural to build bonds and connections. And, and we, we, we always had a lot of trust. And, and I think that was really important for us that we were able to challenge each other and um, debate things very openly, but also knowing that it, it wasn't personal. And I remember, I mean, even meetings, almost to this day where like, it's, you know, Stacy's still with the company, Darren, Darren left shortly after I did after the acquisition, but you know, Stacy and I can be in a meeting and be debating and, and arguing about something and people come up to us afterwards and be like, are you guys, are you guys okay? Like, you know, what's wrong with you guys? We're like, yeah, we're fine. Like we're going to go get sushi right now. Like there's like, there's just, we've built up enough comfort level with each other that we can openly debate and discuss and, and walk away from it. So healthy. Sushi yeah. solves everything too. But uh, no, I mean, you're right. When you go through these ups and downs together and overcome them, you overcome the obstacles and challenges together on the other side, yeah. your, your relationship's even better than it was before. 
and you, you forge that bond even deeper. I mean, I lived with my co-founders in the slums of Nigeria. I mean, it's very rare you're ever going to have that experience with anyone in your life. And so they're all, they'll always be family to me, um, irrespective of whether they stay with the company or not, because you've been through so much. Anything that help, happens outside of that, I mean, nothing could be harder than living there together. And same with the challenges with running a startup. Nothing is harder sometimes than the challenges you have to overcome as a business. And so if you're able to overcome that and you become even stronger, and it's like that old quote, I love this quote, which is a strong timber does not, or good timber does not come with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. And so if you have a relationship where you never had to go through any tough challenges or obstacles to overcome, it's not, it's not well tested. It doesn't have a good barometer for a, a litmus test of how strong that bond is. Yeah. I've never been married, so I can't, I can't appropriately make the analogy, but from what I talk <laughs> friends that are married, I mean, it's, I think it's very similar where you have to go through like challenging moments and, and you have to like have like those ups and downs together. And that's where, where you really forge that connection and that bond. And um, I mean, I, I, I will always have a bond with Darren and Stacey and I, I, I think, one, one, we got really lucky. I mean, I, I don't think I can overstate that, but the two, just the personalities and the fact that we were able to build trust so quickly and um, never have it get personal, never lose trust in the entire amount of time that we, we all work together. That's awesome. And, um, you know, one of the other things that you and I talked about is we have these ideas, but we don't necessarily want to run them. And you and I were just talking about this uh, last time we connected a couple of weeks ago and kind of like rocket internet's idea. And, and I actually thought of you because the last interview I just had was with this guy is a venture capital guy and he created something called the anchor list.com. Mm -hmm. And it's basically to find the best operators, not the best founders, the best operators. So when you do have that idea and they, they rate people in six categories cause they feel like there's six positions that can run a healthy startup and operate it properly. And I immediately thought around, I'm like, oh, this is totally up our alley because we have these ideas. We don't necessarily want to run them, but we want to put them forward so other people can run them and, and move forward. So I, I figured I'd mention that to you, but what advice would you give someone that's listening that maybe has co-founders right now and they're dealing with some challenges and, and they want to stay with the company and grow the company as large as you have? I mean, what do you do to help with those growing pains because who you are as students is different than who you are as professional, you know, coworkers. And then also you're a, a person that is good at being a founder is not always good at being an operator. What advice would you give there? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is just trying to surround yourself with the right, like coaches and mentors or whether that's an advisory board or an actual board. And I, I think this is easier than, than most people realize to do. And, and, when you ask someone for help and advice, like it's very flattering and you can, it's, it's shocking the, the number of like senior profile people that you can reach out to and approach it from, Hey, I would just love to pick your brain or like ask for advice. The, the, the response rate on something like that is really high um, compared to just uh, you compared to just trying to sell someone something or ask for something. Um, it turns out people really get flattered when you ask for advice or ask for help or mentorship or coaching. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, Telson was fortunate that we, we built a company to scale where we were able to go higher in and, and build, build the leadership team by, 
you know, augmenting the three of us with people that had done it before and, and people that had the operational experience. But as I look back, I think we could have augmented our, our own gaps in building a business just by hiring an advisory board or, or building an advisory board and, and finding mentors in the space that could really help guide us and, and coach us. And I mean, I, 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 I've gone through like a pretty interesting journey because I mean, as a co-founder, we then hired a CEO. Um, we went through an acquisition process and then I became CEO after an acquisition, after leaving for a year. So I've kind of been through each of those pieces and um, I, I still I still think founders make amazing CEOs. You have that sort of paranoia, that, that, that vision, you have, you know, you're very customer obsessed. You remember what it was like to be at zero and that paranoia always kind of lives with you. Um, so I think anyone's actually capable of sitting in that seat that started a company, um, but it's more about just augmenting your skill sets by building that team around you. Um, and if you can't go out and hire people, you can't afford to do that. Go cold outreach to people that you really admire and people in your space. Um, and I think I think most people would be shocked to see the response rate when you ask when you position it from a, a, a perspective of hey, just want your advice and your coaching and like would you spare 30 minutes and you can take that for yeah. 30 minutes and, and then uh, you know turn that into a longer term relationship. But uh, I've always been amazed when I have to reach out for help how, how responsive people are. Especially when you're a student. I mean, use that yeah. student card. Everybody loves helping a student. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, coaching wasn't as popular when you were first starting out, but coaching is becoming more and more mainstream and people are realizing like, oh, wow, this actually works. And it doesn't mean, it's kind of like that stigma. And I've talked about this in previous episodes, the stigma of mental health. And now yeah. mental health is starting to become more and more popular before people thought, oh, you need a shrink. Like, you, are you crazy? Is there something wrong with you? Are you broken? And people are realizing, well, you don't have to be broken to to help with your mental health or get coaching. Yeah. And it uh, doesn't mean you don't have all the answers, but it, it helps to surround yourself with people that have different perspectives, different expertise and care about you and the business. Exactly. I mean, I, running a company is really lonely because you, you have problems on a daily basis that you can't tell anyone else in the company about. And there's, there's issues and things and, and people have opinions on things that, you just wish you could tell them the truth and tell them the whole story, but there's just information that you have that, you know, for you know, privacy reasons or for other reasons, you just can't share. And, uh, and then, so I think having someone that you can talk to openly, that's not in your company, that's not a you know, direct report of yours or a peer of yours is really, really important because otherwise you're just, you're living with those problems yourself and, and you, you're not, I mean, when you work at a company, you can go gossip and complain to your peers or your reports and, and talk about certain problems that you're having on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you're a founder running a company, like there's no one you can talk to. And I mean, I can talk to my co-founders, yes, but, but now, I mean, I'm, there's even things I, I can't share with them that are, that are, uh, you know, things that I, I could, I could only maybe talk to a coach confidentially. Exactly. I mean, Hey, you I need to put you in front and sell me to other people <laughs> as a coach, because that's exactly what I tell clients is it's very unique in the relationship. It's a synergistic relationship where they don't have an inherent bias nor a conflict of interest. Who else in your life do you have that with? There's certain things you can't share with your co-founders, your advisory board, your board members, your investors, your coworkers, your family, your significant other, your friends, not because you know you don't want to, but there's an inherent bias with each of them and a conflict of interest possibly with each of them or both. And then you're just left alone. Like, what do I do with all this information? I need to get it out somewhere. 
And um, co that's why I think coaching, people are realizing, wow, if you run a company, you need someone in your corner that's directly invested in your success, in your health. And yeah. when you win, they win and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things I love that you said is you kind of, as a CEO and founder, you need to be the figurehead and the one that's good at executing, which is a rare position because those are two completely different skill sets. And so you need to look like everything's great. Everything's going well. We're going to do awesome. Keep the team motivated. You need to be inspiring and inspired. You need to be motivating and motivated. And then at the same time, you also need to put out fires and mm -hmm. execute well. Which yeah, is I mean, completely different sometimes, there's, sometimes there's moments when actually you're feeling the worst or those are the moments when you actually have to put on the face and be to the external world of the, of the company, um, be the most positive and the most uplifting. And, and uh, that can be hard, but uh, it's an important part of the job is to, I mean, the analogy I always use is whenever, I mean, I fly a lot, we talked about traveling. Um, whenever you go through a ton of turbulence, I always look at what the flight attendants are doing since they fly all the time. And, and if they're just sitting there really calm, like, you know, nothing's changing their demeanor. They're just reading their book in their chair. Um, then I'm like, I calm down immediately, but I've had one or two flights, only one or two where I see the flight attendant themselves get like a bit nervous. And then I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I should be getting nervous too. And I should, uh, this is, this is real now. And, and I, I think the same is true with leadership where, um, in those moments of crisis, people are looking at you for, are you, are you the fight act. really calm or are you also, you know, acting in a, in a hostile way and, and freaked out and, and they'll take their cues from that for sure. Yeah. Cause you set the tone for the rest of the company, the rest of the team. Yep. And so it, it they're going to read your energy very keenly and it's so important. And that's why you need to coach someone that you could just talk to without this, this bias and, yeah, we could talk about that for hours because there's so much just being a leader that, you know, I love the analogy you use. I think the flight attendants, they, they probably are trained too to have a poker face. Like everything's fine. Just, you know, keep hold your composure or else you're going to have the whole flight freaking out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that, awesome. might be, that might be in their manual. I'm not sure, but I've always used that. As a <laughs> yeah. It's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. And you have to hold it in. And one of the things I learned in coaching is, when things are going rough and people are having a hard time, be mm -hmm. positive and uplifting. When things are going well is when you want to give feedback and constructive criticism. Yeah, and, yeah. I definitely buy into that. I mean, we had a, luckily we, we have a platform that's very, very stable, but we had some, some technical issues a few weeks ago. And um, I, I pinged our, our head of tech ops who was responsible for, uh, it was a Saturday. And, uh, I was like, hey, can you chat for five minutes? And I got him on the phone. I think he was worried that I was about to just like roast him. And, and uh, I actually called him. I was like, hey, man, I just wanted to check to see how you're doing. Like, how is your team doing? I want them to know that, hey, like we're supporting. I know a ton of people are working you know, overnight right now. Like they've worked, you know, 18, 20 hours in a row trying to solve the issue. Um, and I was like, please, please, uh, please order, order dinner on me. Make sure your team knows that they can order dinner on me. Um, we'll, we'll figure out the problem later. We'll, you know, there's plenty of time to figure that out. But in those moments, like the last thing you want to do is, is call and, and, uh, and stress out people even more when they're in the middle of like trying to solve a problem, trying to firefight, like trying to do right by you. Um, yeah, they're already stressed out. And the last thing they need is now you berating them with exactly. more negativity. So when you, that, I mean, that is a tell a sign for good leadership. 
There you go. See what I did that? <laughs> uh, thinking of being an awesome founder and doing great things as a leader, what's I like to always dive into the scrappy, you know, hustle. What's something scrappy you did to hustle in the early days that maybe you couldn't have shared in the very beginning, but you're willing to reveal now? Yeah, there, there could probably be a long list of things that we did um, in the early days. I mean, we were playing in a category where we're trying to sell to the largest websites in the world. But yet if they peeked under the covers and realized that we were three people without much meaningful revenue, with no, no investment, with no history that we we're teenagers or in our early 20s, um, they probably wouldn't trust us to, to run something so mission critical for their business. So there were a ton of things that we did to make us appear bigger. Um, we would, uh, I mean, if you called TeleSign in the early days and you, there'd be a, a voice prompt, like for one, press sales, for two, you know, support, three, billing, four, I mean, et cetera. Um, no matter which one you pressed, it would always ring to my cell phone. And I was almost always in class if it was during the week. So I'd have to run <laughs> out of class. And it started getting um, a bit awkward that I was always answering the phone regardless of, of who, you, who, who you called. So, um, a bit, a bit ashamed, but we actually came up with uh, of employees um, that were just just uh, alter egos of ourselves that uh, we would create email addresses for, and they would respond to clients so that it wasn't always weird that, that the founders were always responding to every client request. Um, so I think one of that's one amazing. Of the, I think one of the employees we created is a guy named Will Jenkins. I'm pretty sure still has a LinkedIn profile. So feel free if you're listening to add Will Jenkins on LinkedIn. Wow, you went that far. You were like, not only are we going to change the voice, create an alter ego, we're going to have their own LinkedIn profile, their own email address. <laughs> yeah, it, this this got a little bit awkward. We realized we had to stop doing this when um, it was, uh, we had uh, someone come to our office and, uh, and ask for Will. <laughs> And uh, it was a client that actually wanted to drop off a gift for Will for like providing like fantastic support throughout the year. Wow. And uh, we had to, I think we quickly were just like, oh, he's, he's out of town traveling or, or we, we had to come up with something quick, but I think that was the moment we recognized that, okay, this isn't, this isn't something. This isn't, gonna, this isn't scalable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it would be really funny if you were like celebrating their employee birthdays too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. Amazing. We'll have to put his uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) He's got got two connections. So maybe it's not that. uh... I'll friend him. We'll we'll get his connections up. Don't worry. After this podcast, he's going to have so many friends. He's going to be a LinkedIn influencer. Exactly. Let's, uh, let's ramp him up for sure. Do you, you guys had an office? I remember, didn't you tell me a story of like, you didn't have an office in the very beginning. So if people wanted to meet with you in person, what did you do? Yeah, we so we did have an office, but it was really, um, I mean, it was really a room. Uh, it, it, so it wasn't a real office. It wasn't something, a place that you'd want to have a client come. So anytime we'd, we'd uh, talk to, to clients or, or even potential investors that wanted to visit, um, and they, they'd say, oh, like, let's just meet at your office. Um, we used to say, oh, all of our conference rooms are booked. Like, let's just meet down the street for, for coffee or at, at, a, at a restaurant nearby. Um, so we used to use that one quite a bit. It's um, a good to, tactic. To make there sure that we have to have someone meet us at the office. All right, Ryan, we're going to transition now into something I like to call the under 30 seconds round. I'm going to fire off questions, answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? I think so. <laughs> what is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? It's a very old school book. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's about 
it's actually about a lot of the things we talked about, building a foundation of trust, um, which then really drives a team that can be accountable to each other. And um, it's a super easy read. You can finish it in an hour and a half, two hours, reads like narrative. And I've read it probably seven or eight times. And it's always humbling to see to see areas that I need to grow and improve. So it's, it's definitely my favorite. That's a great, great recommendation. And Google actually um, studied I think like over a thousand Googlers and they wanted to find out what were the five variables that made the most successful team, team members. And they found number one was psychological safety, like their ability to share things in an open environment, safe environment. Two was dependability, you know, being able to rely on their team. Number three was structure and clarity of their role. Number four was meaning. And number five was impact that yeah. they feel they're having a, uh, on, on people. So I love, I love that study. I think it's, uh, it's project Aristotle and the, the fact that like psychological safety is such an important one to be able to, to speak freely and, and, uh, and know that there's that trust, which I have with my founders. And I think it's a big reason why I, I love this book so much. And, um, yeah, to be very candid and, and open without yeah. feeling judged in a, in a safe, trusted environment. Mm-hmm. What's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? I'll start with worst investments. I think I, I, uh, I mean, I buy random things on online all the time. I, I think the last random one I bought was a couple weeks ago. I bought some device to like work on my posture. And I think I wore it for a couple of days and haven't worn it since. Um, oh, another one is I, I, from traveling, I've bought multiple iPads and then proceeded to leave them on planes. Um, so those are definitely bad investments, especially when like how I use an iPad, I, I, don't actually need the power of an iPad. I'm just using it for like Netflix or you know, something that doesn't need a, an iPad type power. Um, in terms of best investments, um, I'll also go recent on this one. I, I bought an air fryer a couple months ago and uh, it's been awesome for cooking really, really fast, uh, especially during the quarantine period, making like vegetables really fast and, and meats really fast and, and easy. Um, so I think I've used it almost every day since I bought it. So that- Is there a particular brand that you recommend? Uh, I don't even know what brand I have. Um, <laughs> we'll have to put the link in the show notes, but, uh, awesome air fryer. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, what's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? So, so morning would be, uh, meditating, which, which I think normally is in the morning, but as I said, sometimes it can, it can ease into later in the day. Um, I, I also, I, I've been intermittent fasting, so I don't eat in the morning anymore. Um, and that's been, uh, an interesting routine that I've actually, I found I have a lot more energy throughout the morning. Um, in terms of evening, I mean, I, before I shut down, I, I really try to look at the next day schedule and make sure that it's like, I have my priorities in order and that it's aligned to like, what are the most important things. And so I think it's important for me to have that so that when I, I sit down first thing in the, in the morning, I, I know exactly what I need to accomplish that day, what's most important and have have a really clear mind and try not to get bogged down just in the, the day-to-day craziness of everything. Intermittent fasting is so important. I was talking to my buddy a couple of years ago in Boston. He was trying to take the LSAT yeah. and the law exam to get into grad school. And he, um, he failed it like three times. He just couldn't pass it. And so he decided that he's like, you know what? I'm going to go to people that have already passed it and ask them what they do and see if there's like a common theme or trend amongst all of them. He found that every single one he asked, none of them ate breakfast. What? None of them. 
And he's like, all right, that, that's how he started intermittent fasting. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe this was before it started becoming buzzwordy. And now it's become like a mainstream thing and it's published everywhere. But that was the one common theme he saw amongst all of them. That's how he started intermittent fasting. And that's, he, he intrigued me to start looking into it. This was like four or five years ago. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I'm definitely late to the late to the fad as as I am with most things. I'm usually way way behind, not not <laughs> on it. Um, but uh, I've been doing it for a couple months now, like that, like basically nonstop. And you do the eight sixteen split? I, yeah, and I'm on. So like right now, like it's been fifteen hours, so I get to eat in about an hour, but I'm not hungry at all. I feel like my energy level is really great. And uh, if you haven't tried it, I definitely recommend definitely recommend people try it. Yeah. Um, the it's first awesome. day is like somewhat hard. It's actually not as hard as I expected it. I, and it's uh, more of a routine, I think, than anything. I don't think people, you know, can't survive the hunger pains. I think it's more of just they're so used to their routine that they look forward to a good breakfast. Yeah. Um, last two. Pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship and you're going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. What's the very first thing you do to start your new business? I think it's a fantasy question since I'm not young enough to win the Peter Till uh, fellowship anymore, but I think you would be looking for operators and looking to build a team and find other really like-minded people. And I love that you're, you have a friend and that like is literally building a, a platform for finding operators. And I don't think there's enough, there's enough recognition for how important those are. There's, I mean, ideas are easy. Um, I have tons of ideas, but it's really, it's about execution. And so I think, for me, it'd be trying to just identify and build teams and, and find really smart people that can help take ideas and, and um, bring them uh, and, and start scaling them. 100%. What's something you never knew you needed? Uh, I mean, maybe the air fryer. I, uh, <laughs> We're really promoting this air fryer thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. We'll, we'll chalk it down as an air fryer until our next episode at a later time when we check in with Ryan in a year or two from now. Yeah. Um, where do, um, well, before you go, thank you so much for being here today, Ryan. Uh, what's next for you? What's the next big goal, milestone, or bucket list item you want to achieve? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have some longer-term goals, but I also I, I very much have a lot of like very short-term goals, and I, I kind of nerd out and create OKRs for myself across a bunch of different areas, business, but also life. And, and I do it actually monthly. Most people do it quarterly. Um, and so to me, it's really growth across, across every dimension, um, whether it's personal business. Um, I, uh, I recently read, uh, like Kobe Bryant's mama mentality book, which is behind me. And I love the, I love the concept of that, which is just getting better every day and, and growing in everything that you do. And uh, for Kobe, that was obviously basketball and other other interests. But for me, it's um, it's getting better at life and and uh, you know becoming a better friend to, to friends, uh, better at, at relationships and, and better at business and better at like myself and my health and, and well being. And so, try to look at it across across all of those. But it's just getting better every single day. Love that. Get better every single day. Um, where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty bad at social media. So uh, LinkedIn is probably the, the one that I'm most likely to respond. Um, but if, if you reach out on LinkedIn, make sure to uh, reference, reference a podcast. Otherwise there's a lot of just random, you know, you know, people trying to sell you on LinkedIn and they don't include anything. And I usually ignore those. So um, make sure to, to reference this and I'm happy to connect and, and look forward to connecting with, uh, with anyone that's listening to Phil. 
Great. Please go connect with Ryan. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Ryan Disraeli with TeleSign, who pioneered two-factor authentication with text messages. We learned so much today how to survive a lion attack, how to work with your co-founders and make sure you build a long-lasting relationship, and the benefits of an air fryer. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure reconnecting. Thanks, Phil. It's been a, been a ton of fun. And uh, like I said, if you take nothing away, just remember, don't run away from a lion, act big and uh, walk away slowly. Act bigger than you are, not just in a lion attack, but sometimes with your startup as well. Exactly. <laughs> Even if it makes cre creating Will Jenkins alter ego. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.